Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. We are back with the first episode following Thanksgiving. Sheena, how was your Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was awesome. We were actually down in Orange County, so my in-laws live in Irvine, so I spent a nice, sunny, Mm -hmm. warm Thanksgiving uh, my family's also all vegetarian. Wow. So Are those combined, the sun and vegetarian? The sun, <laughs> yeah, I think if you're vegetarian, the sun comes out more. <laughs> That's fair. People in San Francisco might agree. Uh, and people not in California are jealous that you had a sunny Thanksgiving. That's true. That is true. I'll take it. I myself went out to Joshua Tree, which was the first time. I'm not much of a camper. I did not camp. Not much of a hiker. I hiked once. Mm. Uh, but it was great. It was good to get outside. Had some friends down, kind of like a Friendsgiving uh, it was nice and relaxing with a couple days off, and, and now we're back at Reveal. The, uh, Joshua Tree is on my list of places to visit. I have not been there before. so It was on the list. It had crept to the top of it, and we finally like, let's just get an Airbnb. There was like hammocks in the backyard. There was a jacuzzi, so it was like kind of cold but kind of warm. It was great. That sounds amazing. No complaints. This week, we hung out with Scott Lease, the previous SVP of sales at Qualia, Scott is really well known in the tech sales community, uh, over a decade of sales leadership experience, very vocal, mm-hmm. very honest. If you don't follow him on LinkedIn, you should just because some of the stuff he says is, it's just kind of to the core of what a lot of salespeople think. Yeah. He was super real, very honest, and he's like an open book. Uh, so I love that about him. Me too. And I got this, this kind of a quote, I'm going to paraphrase, but it's from, I think it's from Chris Voss where he was like the difference between a straight shooter and a jerk is both will tell you how it is, but a straight shooter cares about how it's received. And I think that is Scott Lee's because, you know, he's SVP of sales. You know, he kind of comes with that, like, assumed type A personality, right? They're typically very powerful people. Um, But he really shared a lot about, you know, being vulnerable as a sales leader, why that is so important and his approach. So um, there's also in the second half a lot that you can learn from him in terms of finding your why and how you can help other people find their why. So why not get into it with Scott Lee's? Scott, thanks for making some time for us. How's today going? Pretty good so far, Devin. Thanks for having me. We'd love to start uh, with an interesting question. I'm always very interested in how people start their day. So what did you have for breakfast today, Scott? (laughs) Now that I work from home and for myself, I have rediscovered breakfast, by the way. (laughs) And um, it's really been underrated. (laughs) Uh, I made myself two eggs with some cauliflower rice and a banger sausage with a little uh, corn tortilla. Wow, that I sounds delicious. I actually made myself a le- le- legit breakfast today, yeah. That is legit. That's at least fourteen ninety nine at a diner, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> in Austin, fourteen ninety nine. In San Francisco, forty ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. And then add like a craft latte yeah. on top of that. Yeah, and a 30 <laughs> right. min- at least yeah. a 30-minute line to, to get in. Yeah, 
<laughs> awesome. I know you're 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 doing your uh, consulting now. A lot of what we'll talk about is your most recent position, which was SVP sales of Qualia, and, and of course, sometimes before that. Um, but another great question to start is if you could describe your role SVP of sales in three words: strategy, recruiting, and stress. Mm, <laughs> in that order. Yes, actually. <laughs> Awesome. I love it. And uh, last question before we really dive into it. How did you get into sales? Oh, man. You know, some of the struggles I've had with my, my health over the years, and I, I wrote about it in, uh, in my book, Addicted to the Process. But uh, I got into sales very late. I was 27 years old. It was the first job I'd ever had that wasn't getting paid to play sports. Really just kind of strategically made a decision because I had spent the previous four years in the hospital fighting for my life and just kind of made a decision that sales was going to afford me a platform to kind of make up for lost time and income wise, as well as kind of career, you know, the ladder, if you will. And so that's why I, I had never done sales before. I had never worked, you know, for anybody before it was literally just where can I make as much money as possible and move up the food chain, you know, quickly. So it was inside sales, startup bill and off we go. Mm -hmm. You were an athlete beforehand. What, skills yeah. and aspects of being an athlete really helped you to succeed in as a, as a leader in sales afterwards? I think probably the one that doesn't get talked about the most is dealing with failure. You know, mm -hmm. um, I played four sports all the way up into high school, two sports in college and soccer, you know, even at a higher level than that. And, you know, the amount of times you miss a shot or strike out or, you know, double fault in tennis, all these things you got to have this like next play mentality because mm -hmm. you know the next point is coming or the ball is coming back or you got to make the next shot. You know, we fail so many times in sales. The failure rate in sales is so much greater than it is in sports. It builds up some resiliency and some mental toughness for sure. And, and I, I think if you haven't gone through some of that in athletic forum, it might be a little more difficult. You know, I don't know because I grew up playing sports, but I, I feel like it gave me an advantage and kind of bouncing back and shaking off the losses, so to speak, and the, the mistakes. Mm -hmm. I, I was a basketball player, and one of my coaches taught me that having a short-term memory is something that the best yeah. shooters have because you forget about the last shot unless it went in. Then you can use that to uh, you know ride the right. wave and, and make the right. next one. But yeah, I, I mean, as a as a as a basketball player, right? If you make like fifty percent of your shots, you're considered to be a pretty damn good shooter. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine making fifty percent of your sales? Like you make a hundred calls and 50 of them turn into deals. You'd be, be an absolute hero. You'd be a yeah. legend, right? <laughs> nope. That doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Right. That, that, that's a billion dollar win rate right there. 50%. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. And then so recently you left Qualia after three years of your own consulting. I, I'd love to hear a little more about the experience at Qualia. Can you tell us about maybe one of the biggest wins while you were there? The biggest win it, to me is always very early um, because that, that's how I've built my whole entire career is going into extremely early stage companies, usually pre-revenue or barely any revenue and, um, getting them off the ground. And, and my niche has been that zero to 25 million ARR spot. Mm -hmm. And so the big win to me is going in, taking this complicated idea, this complicated product and finding a way to simplify, simplify, simplify the messaging and really dive into the pains that we're solving and the value 
therein and fixing them and, and why our solution makes sense. And so it's those first couple deals to me mm-hmm. that are the biggest. Mm-hmm. It's not the you know largest deal in history. It's not the six-figure deal or the seven-figure deal. That doesn't do it for me. It's the beginning. It's the first couple deals where it's like, oh shit, I think we I think we hit upon something here, right? Mm-hmm. This seems to be working. This this feels like a repeatable pitch and process now. And so those are the deals that matter the most to me. You know, that might not be what you're expecting, but that, that's by far to me what sticks out the most. What was some of the biggest challenges that you had there? Maybe at year one, getting to that first million or, or just kind of generally across your time there? Well, you know, the biggest challenge that we have at Qualia is candidly like generating a sense of urgency. You know, it is a very, very old school, stodgy, antiquated industry and they've been doing things the particular way for a really, really long time. And they're very hesitant to change and implementing our solution, no matter how good our onboarding process is and how good the product is, um, is going to be a little bit disruptive. Fighting that urgency battle, I think was the hardest part throughout the whole journey. Mm -hmm. And, and it's still the hardest part for, for everybody who's, um, you know, still over there. Even though we've had tons of success, the largest player in the industry now, it's, it's still a challenge. I mean, you're talking about an industry that has pieced things together with sticky notes still, <laughs> right? So, um, and they don't have a cloud-based solution anywhere in the market other than Qualia. I'm sure people, you know, listeners can relate to it in, in some of their industries, but it's just that lack of urgency. How do we get them to understand this is something they need to move on now? That was by mm-hmm. far the toughest. We talk about product market fit, and oftentimes that conversation is specifically directed on the product and how can we evolve the product to better meet the needs of customers, where a big part of it is actually the sales and the marketing team and how can the message, like you're talking about, come together and resonate with what the customers um, need and desire. So I think it's like a very, very challenging but also rewarding when it works uh, moment was there anything that you were able to implement uh, to help drive that urgency with customers? It is extremely difficult in, in our industry. So you can do, there's tips and tricks and you, you know, I don't want to reveal all the secret sauce, but you know, if you have opportunities to work with people, you know, and give them incentives to move sooner. So for example, at Qualia, you know, one of our challenges was we had to be ready for each particular geography. So we had this like regionalization team and, you know, in California, for example, the way title insurance works is very different in NorCal versus SoCal. They almost operate as two different states. So we would, you know, go into particular new state or new, new market. And, you know, I'd kind of try to figure out a way to incentivize them to maybe be the first mover in a particular area because, somebody might be spooked about that. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if you're the first, you know, customer of ours in Idaho, here's, here's how this could be beneficial for you. Right. You know, we can partner with you and, and, you know, get you some increased PR and publicity mm-hmm. and feature you on, you know, newsletters and blog posts of ours and whatever. Right. So just like finding kind of new and creative incentives um, to kind of push them over the line. What was, you know, our, our best method beyond just, you know, the, the tried and true, which is, you know, make sure that they understand they have a problem. They understand the value in fixing it. Um, you know, beyond that is really like, what can we do to kind of, you know, kick them over the ledge, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. One of the uh, toughest things to sell against is the status quo. 
right? Especially if when yep. you're trying to get these early adopters moving. Uh, Scott, you currently advise multiple companies like Always Hired, Zen Business, Vero Leasing, Hoopla Software. What type of guidance are you currently helping them with? Uh, you know, it, it varies a little bit from from spot to spot, but but really, what I like to do is work with the founders and and the and the head of sales and talk through sales strategy, sales process, uh, sales pitch. Um, I work on competitive uh, landscape and analysis, uh, rebuttals and and uh, objection handling, um, some sales operational things, you know, cadences and and that kind of thing. A lot of simplification of of messaging, a lot of kind of go-to market strategy. How do we align our territories, compensation plans? And one of the things that I've, I've really, you know, kind of benefited from in, in my consulting and advisory business is my network is so large on, on LinkedIn and there's so many people that I'm, that I know and connected to that I've been able to bundle in a lot of recruiting services, not just frontline recruiting services, but actually executive level recruiting services. And I've worked with so many people that I've, who were reps with me and then managers and then directors. And, you know, I, so I, I kind of take care of the people who I've worked closely with and I've been able to funnel some of them into VP level roles and things like that. So really kind of runs the, runs the gamut, but I'm, I'm, I'm much more involved with strategy and talking with heads of sales and, and founders than I am, you know, like a, a sales trainer who shows up for a day or two and then leaves. But that's not really my thing. I like to work, uh, in longer, longer stretches and really kind of dive in and, and feel like I'm making an impact. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've heard you mention a few times, uh, simplifying the messaging, which I know is key and, and easier said than done. What are some of the challenges or maybe some of the hurdles of getting these sales teams to change their messaging or even just a view that, Hey, it, it needs to be simplified. So it could well, be- to, to be perfectly candid with you, it's not usually the sales team that has this problem. <laughs> the sales <laughs> team knows it. You know, who has the problem? The owner has the problem, the founder has the problem yeah. and the VP of product and the VP engineering has the problem because they know all this shit that the product can do, right? They know mm-hmm. every single feature and every single thing it can do, mm-hmm. but the prospect doesn't need to know all that stuff, right? It let, the, the analogy I use all the time is in the car buying process, right? I don't know about, about you guys, but I'm not a car person. All right. So if I walk onto the dealership looking to buy a car, all I care about is the miles per gallon, the color, the safety, like that's about it. So if I show up and you start talking to me about the zero to 60 speed and the engine size and the braking, right. yeah. and like you, you fucking lost it. Man. Like, I don't, I don't want to hear all that stuff. I can relate right? to that. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and so, you know, the first thing to do and the hardest thing to do is explain to the founder and, and the people who built the product that like, Hey, your, uh, your baby's, you know, not exactly the, it cats me out, you know, mm-hmm. nobody cares about all these, these, these things. So the hardest thing to get them to understand is no, that feature and that piece of the product is not important enough. Mm-hmm. We're putting that to the side. If somebody asks about that, boom, I got it in my back pocket and we can talk about it. Right. right? So when I show up, I'm usually like, okay, I, give me a rundown of how you're pitching and presenting this. And it's like, you know, an encyclopedia length. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, we're throwing out 90% of that what are the like three or four main central features and ways that your product improves the lives of, of your prospect. Mm-hmm. And we're going to craft our pitch and our collateral around those things and keep everything else in our back pocket. And, you know, the sales team, my experience is salespeople get that. And they are, you know, 
against their will, sort of mandated to talk about a lot of things. And then they get into all sorts of bad habits of mm-hmm. overselling and going into too much detail. I think it probably really helps those other teams that surround sales to hear what's working and what's not working directly from the voice of the customer rather than right. hearing it from sales or people pointing fingers. Like, let's just surface what our market is saying, what our customers are saying directly and how they're reacting. Yeah, I wish more people agreed with that. In every episode, we have a data breakout, a quick sidebar to look at the data. Today, let's unpack the science behind Scott's emphasis on simplifying messaging. Neuroscientists say our brains have a built-in stopwatch that ends around 10 minutes. University of Washington Medical School molecular biologist John Medina says people tune out of a presentation in the first 10 minutes. The brain seems to be making choices according to some stubborn timing pattern, undoubtedly influenced by both culture and gene, he says. Apple is famous for this approach, and they use it in their annual product announcements, which is one of the most anticipated presentations in tech every year. Every 10 minutes or so, a new speaker joins the stage to change a topic and discuss a new product or feature. Our Gong Labs data confirms this approach, finding that successful deals only pitch for nine minutes during the intro sales meeting, compared to 11 or more for unsuccessful deals. Notice these presentations, Apple and sales, aren't nine minutes in total, but instead are designed to have short chapters to keep the audience's attention. So the data is there, and it appears to be a shorter, more concise sales presentation is the best route. For more insight on how to mirror this approach on your sales calls, you can check out the link in the show description. Once you help direct, you know, one of the company that you may be working with or your own experiences from the past on, this is the route that we should take from a strategic point of view. How do you know if that decision was actually the right one or if you may have made a mistake? How can you Uh, also measure that if possible? The truth bomb that most VPs of sales probably will will lie about and and not tell you the truth about. Um, We don't know. Mm. I don't know. I I am taking my experience and all the kind of data points that I have and putting my best foot forward and giving it my best guess. But the truth is that we don't know. And the truth is that I never nail it 100% right the first, second, or third time, Mm -hmm. right? I just have to get close enough to give myself a chance to continue to get feedback and get engagement from the people that I talk to and work with the couple early AEs that I have and get their feedback. And this is a living, breathing kind of document, the sales script and the messaging until we've got a couple deals in and and, until I feel like, okay, this is kind of as good as it gets. And then that will sit with that for a while. And then after like year one, we take a look at it and it's like, what did we, what can we throw out? How do we simplify this even more? And that process of refinement is something that I do in my organizations all the time. So mm-hmm. it's never like we come up with one way to pitch it and then that's it for, for eternity. Mm-hmm. No, it's, we're moving around. We're figuring out what resonates more or less. How do we get to the point faster? These kind of things. And you know, you're, you're measuring that with data. If you've got tools to help you measure that, great. You should, you should be utilizing those. How many calls and how many emails does it take to get somebody on the phone and then to build interests and then to set demos and to hold the demo, you know, all the normal kind of KPIs, you're measuring the effectiveness of your pitch and your scripts all the time. And you should be making adjustments based on what the data tells you. It seems like in the early days, there may be a little bit more of 
gut and instinct involved when you're making some of these big decisions. And then as you have more data points, as you have a bigger team, you have more data to rely on to make critical decisions. Would you agree with that? Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. Early days, you're trying to figure out and really lock in your, your ICP, your ideal customer profile. And a perfect example is like, what market do we start selling to first? If Sheena and Devin and Scott start a company right now, should we start calling in California or Texas first and why? Mm-hmm. Right? You don't really know. You, you've got a hunch yeah. and you've got maybe some experience on your side, but you know, you're, you're taking a guess. If you dive into California and you're getting nowhere after, you know, a couple weeks, do you stay there and keep, and keep digging or do you bounce to Massachusetts and see what that does? Mm-hmm. Right. And oftentimes you get it wrong initially. And then when you hit on something, right, when all of a sudden Massachusetts starts to catch fire, you're like, okay, we're putting our energy there. This yeah. is our, you know, low hanging fruit. Right. I don't care who you are. If somebody tells you that they can nail that every single time and it's a science. They're lying. In my opinion, <laughs> very hard to do. It takes a little bit of your gut instinct and, and experience and you should be able to get to that right answer faster in time and with more experience because you have all these things to draw from. Yeah, it sounds like data is plays more of a kind of iteration and locking in on the right answer than necessarily uh, nailing it on the first go. Yeah, I, I think there is a tendency right now to think that data is the panacea to everything. And I, I just, I don't buy that. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's helpful, but it's not the end all be all. So Scott, how do you coach some of the sales leaders that you work with to make sure that they're balancing that, you know, we'll call it the the human touch as well as, you know, driving some insights with data? One of the specific things I talk about is I've got to convince them to allow themselves to be vulnerable. Uh, I think there's a tendency for sales leaders to want to be Superman or Superwoman. And, you know, I'm indestructible and I move a thousand miles an hour, you know, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And, you know, if something bad happens in my life, I just brush it off and I'm, and I'm fine. And so I try to explain to some of the leaders that I work with that if you really want to get to know the people that you work with, you also have to be willing to allow them to get to know you. And that is one of the best ways and the fastest ways to build trust that I know. Again, well documented, but like I have been through hell and back in my life. And I think smartest thing that I did a long time ago was just decide to own it and just talk about it and be open about it. And I think that that has helped make me, you know, a a little bit relatable to people that I, that I work with. And I, and I want sales leaders and all leaders that, that I talk to, to embrace that and, and, uh, and, and take it upon themselves to work on that. And they'll get some better results from, from their team. I see glimpses where it's starting to maybe pick up steam. Um, but there's still a lot of resistance to that. Stigma still exists, I believe. What do you think it is, Scott, that prevents those people from you know, allowing themselves to be more vulnerable or, or even valuing that approach? Well, I, again, I think some of it is this facade and the, and the pressure to be superhuman and our kind of hero worship of everybody who works 24 hours a day and you know no days off and extreme ownership to the nth power, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, how realistic is some of this stuff? What is the negative impact of that, right? Right, right? Because I have health challenges that I deal with all the time. So I simply am not well 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So 
if I compare myself to this person who's working 24 hours a day, what am I going to end up doing to my mental health? I'm going to destroy it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm already feel like shit physically. So now I'm going to feel like shit mentally as well. So I, I, I just don't, I just can't buy into that. But I think that that's part of it is they're trying to seem, you know, superhuman and just on a, on a deep, like psychological level, they're unwilling to let their guard down for whatever reason, you know, and everybody's got their own story and we've all been through, you know, our, the, whatever childhood we had, good or bad, and young adulthood and all right. these things. Um, and, you know, most people don't want to deal with the shit that made them who they are, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I, I think and I hope that, um, you know, more and more people in positions of power kind of speak the truth and don't hide it anymore and, and kind of normalize some of these things. And hopefully, you know, there's some increased momentum around that. Mm-hmm. My reputation certainly, I think, is one that is, I'm going to tell it like it is. And sometimes you might not want to hear what I have to say, but I think you need to hear it. So I think, you know, you, you kind of, you know what you're going to get, right. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get just this fluff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the people who partner with me and and gravitate towards working with me or even people who have decided to come work for me in my different roles, I think that they're seeking that, you know, and, and they're, and they're tired of working for somebody who doesn't present as somebody who gives a shit about them. Right. right. And it doesn't, it, they don't work for somebody who it feels like genuinely wants to help them succeed. And so, yeah, that, that is absolutely something that I've consciously tried to be on the right side of, of that equation, if you will. Uh, Scott, you've talked about finding your why. Why are you in this game? Why are you in this career? What advice would you have for folks who are trying to define their why? I think for some people, it's really hard mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, you just end up in a career path for whatever reason. Um, so number one, what advice do you have for those people who are trying to figure out their why? And then second, what advice do you have for leaders who are trying to understand the why of the folks on their team? How can they best do that? Well, the second one is much easier. You know, <laughs> leaders just need to spend time. Yeah. You know, they need to commit a particular amount of time. And, you know, look, I, I get it. I've been there, right? I mean, I was an SVP of sales been an operator in that role basically for 15 years mm-hmm. at a certain point in time, you know, six hours of my day were probably blocked in meeting, leaving me three other hours to get some shit done and, and eat lunch. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's hard to find the time, but if you want to understand your people's why and their reason for being and their motivation and, and, and how you can best help them and how you can best motivate them, you've got to put in the time, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to necessarily block off 30 minutes for a one-on-one or an hour for a one-on-one. Yeah. Right. right? It's just walk around the office for five minutes and be like, Hey, Sheena, how's it, how's it going? Mm-hmm. What are you working on? Right. And I, and I listen, I pause and listen and, and I, and I hear your response to me and it's subdued and I'm like, Hey, yeah. Right. What, what else is, what else is going on? Don't talk to me about your stupid pipeline. Like, <laughs> you're right. You're There's right. more to life than you know that. Many, yeah. You know, yeah. You know how many, you know how many times I've just stopped right there and it's been like, you sure you're all right. And, and you can see people's whole, you know, their facial expressions change, right. their mood change. It's like, Sheena, why don't we go for a walk real quick? Right. Mm-hmm. And people fucking let it out. Yeah. Right. And, and when they let it out and you're there for them, you forge a little bit of a bond there. And that person goes back in and hopefully, you know, they're ready to, you know, move forward a little bit. And I'm like, okay, I, I mental note, like Sheena's going through this thing. How can I best support this? How can I best motivate her? Mm-hmm. So you just, there's no shortcut. You've got to spend the time with your people 
and you gotta you gotta listen to them. You know, you really gotta listen to them and be willing to care about them more than you care about yourself. And the the first part of that is, you know, people who are struggling to find their why. I have a real hard time with this. Mm -hmm. I, I really do. I don't buy the whole like, oh, you know, it's gonna take me a couple of years to figure out what I really want to do. Bullshit. You know, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? You better have an answer. And everyone does. The problem is most of us let people off the hook. We don't hold you accountable enough, right? So Devin says to me, well, you know, kind of don't really know what my why is right now. And most people will say, oh, all right, well, you know, get back to me when you do. I don't let people <laughs> yeah. get away with that. Yeah. I'm like, well, Devin, like, you know, I don't believe you, first of all. I believe that you are either too freaking lazy to give me an answer or you're intimidated for some reason. So what's going on, man? Like, what's your why? You don't have to tell me, you know, what you want your end game career goal to be, but like, what's your why right now? Why are you here? Yeah. Why are you picking up the phone a hundred times a day? Do you need the money? Okay. What do you need the money for? Mm -hmm. Oh, you want to buy a car? What kind of car? What color? Right. What dealership has it? When do you want to buy it by? How much money do you have saved? How much money do you need to save every month in order to be able to purchase that car? Okay, so your why right now to pick up the phone is to get a new car mm-hmm. or to buy an engagement ring for your girl, right? People, some people don't naturally communicate those kind of things. You have to extract it from them. Right. You have to dive in and hold them accountable and, and again, genuinely show that you're interested and care about these things before somebody's going to open up to you. So I, I don't buy it. Everybody has a why. Mm-hmm. Every single person has a why why they're in that role what right now, why they're at work, why they're picking up the phone. You know, it's on some of us as leaders and even teammates to help people distill it into something tangible and mm-hmm. quick and simple. And, and that, and that why doesn't have to be permanent. It's just, you could be, you could be your why for today and tomorrow it might be something different. Yeah. Next week it might be something different, but give me your why you're right now. We need to stop accepting the uh, surface level objection, if you will. Right. Mm-hmm. And get to the, get to the true objection. Yeah. And I can say you'll get a lot more out of that person. I think, like you said, not just will they hit, you know, 10 more dials or 10, you know, 10% better on their revenue, but they will be a better you know person outside of work. They'll be a happier person yes. and they'll yeah, come my, back and they'll want to work for you at the next company. Right. Cause they're like, you know, Hey, that's you know, right. they'll help me figure out my why, then maybe you can do it again. <laughs> that's right. You know, my, my, my good buddy, Kevin Dorsey says better people sell better. So part of my job is to help Devin and Sheena be better people, make smarter decisions consistently every single day. My job is to help you get where you want to go. That's what it has to be about. My, my, my why and my goal now is, is to leave a legacy. There, there is absolutely nothing better than having one of those five-minute why conversations or giving somebody advice and, and just watching that light bulb go off mm-hmm. in their head and that mm-hmm. switch get flipped and them coming back to you a day, a week, a year, five years later and still pointing to you as, the person that, you know, made the largest impact on them and, and, and their life and their career. There is no better reward than that. It's the best feeling that I've ever experienced. And I'm, and I'm eternally grateful for everybody who's given me a chance to, to, to play that, that role and have that impact on their lives and then give me the feedback even. Those are the moments that sustain me, you know, and keep me going and keep, have always kept me coming back to, you know, being a sales leader. Yep. Yeah. Running with why, you know, you, you currently host surf and sales, the micro conference for sales professionals. Uh, what motivated you to create this event and what makes it different from other sales conferences? Uh, what motivated me to do it was I can't stand 
going to thousand person plus hundred thousand person conferences. It's just mm. a shit show. All due respect to all the companies that run these things. So what motivated me honestly was to be the antithesis of that. I want deep connection. I want to make an impact. I want a, a conference to be a little bit of a vacation as well as a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to the same city that I've been to God knows how many times in my life, right? You know, it came to me while I was surfing in Costa Rica. Why, why doesn't anybody do it here, right? Like literally right here. That's kind of how, how it was born, you know? It's like, can I find 15 to 20 people? That's it. Right. Super exclusive number. 15 to 20 like-minded people who are going there to learn and share ideas, some of whom are SDRs, some of whom are CEOs. I've had VPs of sales, sales managers, VPs of operations, VPs of customer success, right? And everybody can learn something from each other and their experiences. And you teach each other. It's not like I'm the only person talking during the whole week. People who come host sessions and, you know, you know, I rent three houses right on the water. It's just a different vibe entirely, man. Um, and so that's, that's why I did it. That's why I did. And I think it's the wave of the future, to be honest with you, because I think people are craving that intimacy more and more and more because it's being sucked out of us everywhere you, everywhere you look. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Um, we'll head over to our wrap up question, Scott, with just a couple here. Describe sales in one word. Difficult. (laughs) It is a very rewarding profession, but it's very, very hard. You have got to work on your mental toughness. Mm-hmm. and your self-confidence and your self-esteem and you've got to surround yourself with teammates and leaders who help you work on that because it is very very difficult and very easy to get down so for the sales leaders who are listening what's the number one skill you think they should focus on in 2020 i think relationship building with their team members i don't know that's more than mm-hmm. one word but that that's the skill how do i cultivate stronger relationships with the people that are working with me and for me. If you were to leave today to go to some other place and you don't have people that would follow you, you're not doing your job right. Yeah, I, love I it. think that kind of defines a legacy, right? If no one wants to follow you, yeah. probably not much of a leader. You don't have a leg- well, then you might have a legacy, but your legacy sucks. Yeah, <laughs> it's a legacy product. No one wants it anymore. It's the anti-legacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, Scott, is there anything else you want to share before we let you go? I'm a, I'm an open book. You know, I'm, I'm all, I'm all over LinkedIn. I, I, unfortunately, you know, LinkedIn has this maximum number of connections that I've been at for God knows how long. So you can't, you can't connect with me, but, um, you know, I respond to every single message that I get. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, definitely, you know, I'd I'd encourage everybody to check out surf and sales, uh, website is surfandsales.com. We're having three events at least next year. We might be holding four and the next one is in early February. Uh, and you can also check out my, you know, consulting website at scottleaseconsulting.com and uh, happy to, you know, have conversation and help anybody out. I like just feeling like I'm making an impact and, and giving people, you know, an opportunity that uh, that I've been fortunate enough to get. That's great. I don't think Sheena and I have been on a surfboard, but maybe surf and boogie board could be a fourth yeah. of hey, it. Let me tell you, so, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Let me address that because 90% of the attendees of the first three surfing sales have never surfed before. Okay. So it is absolutely not a requirement to know how to surf. This is why I hire locals to give everybody lessons every single day. And it's why we go to the spots we go to because it's very warm water, very mild, mellow waves, 
not like, you know, we're going out to Mavericks and putting people's <laughs> lives in danger, right? It's super <laughs> beginner style. I know enough about surfing to know the Mavericks is the real deal. Uh, well, cool, yeah, Scott. We, we're not going there. We appreciate <laughs> it. Man, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for your vulnerability and your expertise. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sheena and Devin. Talk to you guys later. Every week we bring you a micro action. It can be as simple as something to think about or an action you can put into play today. As a revenue leader, connecting with your team on a personal and vulnerable level can have a massive impact on the individuals and the team. It's these connections that humanize you and reflect a tone of approachability and empathy. Challenge yourself to have three five-minute why conversations with your team this week. They can be part of a scheduled meeting or at random as you walk around the office. Listen actively and practice empathy. If you make this a habit, you'll build a team centered around trust and empowerment. And those are the type of employees that go above and beyond your expectations. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.